Good evening. On the occasion of Sri Aurobindo's 150th birth anniversary, I have written an article which I hope to give an overview of in this talk today. The article and the talk is called Nine Gems in Savitri, A Mystic Exploration. Let us begin with a moment of invocation to Sri Aurobindo. Tatsavitur varam rupam Jyotihi parasya dhimai Yannaha satyena deepayet Satyena deepayet Om Tatsavitur varam rupam Jyotihis parasya dhimai Yannaha satyena deepayet Satyena deepayet This is the Savitri Mantra which Sri Aurobindo himself has given us. In July 2008, I was asked by Savitri Pavan Oravil to give a talk, not ever having spoken on Savitri before, though having read it for many years with Dr. Nirutparan and at the Gnostic Centre, I was a little nervous. Time was short and I was not making much headway, so I thought my best bet would be to appeal to the author of Savitri. I aspired for inspiration, and as the talk was in two days' time, I began to prepare for the talk by noting down some points on a chit pad. Th these are the ideas that I subsequently have expanded over the years, which I hope to share today. The nine gems in Savitri could also be viewed as the nine most important um, attributes, aspects, jewels that Savitri gives to the reader, to those who read her with aspiration, with prayer, with inspiration. The ones that have stood out for me, I'm sure there are many others, are the following. The first gem that I discovered in Savitri was its power to awaken human aspiration. Savitri is an invocation of the human soul to the Supreme. Savitri is a poem for those who want to intensify their consciousness and are looking for a growth of consciousness. It is the song of the soul's awakened journey and the deeper we go into Savitri, the more we experience this. 
Savitri has been written in the resonant iambic pentameter and has the power to awaken, deepen and intensify our aspiration for the divine. The mother told Muna Sarkar, the direct road is through the heart. I tell you, if you try to really concentrate with the aspiration, you can light the flame, the psychic flame, the flame of purification in a very short time. What you cannot do normally, you will do it with the help of Savitri. Try and you will see how very different it is, how new. If you read with this attitude, with this something at the back of your consciousness, as though it were an offering to Sri Aurobindo. My own personal point of entry into Savitri was similar. It was really this offering an aspiration to what Sri Aurobindo that brought me there. And I was at a turning point, as was Savitri in these lines. That R had fallen now on Savitri, a point she had reached where life must be in vain or in her unborn element awake. Her will must cancel her body's destiny for only the unborn spirit's timeless power can lift the yoke imposed by birth in time. This hour falls on all those who step on the path. There is a point where life must either be in vain or something cancel our old destiny. And her state resonates with us as there comes a point in our lives when all the old samskaras, the old attachments and affections and attractions, all that we lose interest in and we aspire to awaken to our true self. Savitri then becomes the answer to this newborn aspiration. The second gem in Savitri is its mantric and healing power. Savitri is pure mantra, every word, every sentence. The mother told Muna Sarkar that the sonority and the sound of the lines resonate to the supreme mantric Om. Om. Each line has that vibration and sonority. Once Niruta told me, why don't you meet Amal Kiran? We were reading a particular passage at that time. And he wanted me to meet Amal Kiran about it as Amalda had written to Sri Aurobindo about it. And so I went to Sri I went to Amalda and he told me that Sri Aurobindo had told him that even 
Because Savitri was written from the highest over mental consciousness, it had a healing power. So Amalda asked Sri Aurobindo rather cheekily, will it heal my fracture? As you all know, Amalda had a habit of falling quite often. And um, at one point he was laid up in bed and he asked Sri Aurobindo, will it heal my fracture? And Sri Aurobindo said, yes. So he marked some passages for him. And these, Amalda told me, were from the highest over mental Gnostic consciousness. I will read one out to you. Now, for a portion of the passage, Amalda had marked. Her mind a sea of white sincerity, passionate in flow, had not one turbid wave, as in a mystic and dynamic dance, a priestess of immaculate ecstasies, inspired and ruled from truth's revealing vault, moves in some prophet cavern of the gods, a heart of silence in the hands of joy, inhabited with rich creative beats, a body like a parable of dawn that seemed a niche for veiled divinity, or golden temple door to things beyond, immortal rhythms swayed in her time-born steps, her look, her smile, awoke celestial sense. Savitri is the Veda of the future. It is the supreme book of yoga. This is the third gem or gift of Savitri. The mother has said that everything is in Savitri. All the help, all the knowledge. She is the infallible guide and nothing else is required. If one reads with a quiet aspiration, the power of the invocation creates a vibration, a vibration in the body, a vibration in the cells of the mind and in the consciousness that brings forward a new consciousness. Savitri opens new capacities in us, like the flow of poetry, or clairaudience, or intuition. That is the great gift of Savitri. The mother used to say, to live in the consciousness of Savitri is to do yoga. Whenever one feels one has come down to an ordinary level, one word, one passage of Savitri is sufficient to uplift one from the ordinary consciousness. You know, the mother used to say, it is charged, it is charged, fully charged with consciousness, as though Savitri were a being, a real guide. I tell you, whoever wants to practice yoga, if he tries sincerely and feels the necessity, he will be able to climb with the help of Savitri to the highest rung of yoga. He will be able to find the secret that Savitri represents, and this without the help of a guru. This passage that I'm about to read describes the yoga of Ashwapati, Savitri's father. Listen to the poetry. 
listen to the rhythm, the resonance. It's like a musical composition of the highest level. Become still and listen with the inner ear. As so he grew into his larger self, humanity framed his movements less and less. A greater being saw a greater world, a fearless will for knowledge, dared to erase the lines of safety reason draws that bar mind saw. Souls dive into the infinite. Even his first steps broke our small earth bounds and loitered in a vaster, freer air. As you know, the Yoga of Ashwapati is a description of Sri Aurobindo's own yogic experiences. And again in the next few lines, he says, in beings it knew what lurked to them unknown. It sees the idea in mind, the wish in the heart. It plucked out from grey folds of secrecy. The motives which from their own sight men hide. He felt the beating life in other men. Invade him with their happiness and their grief. The above lines describe Ashwapati Siddhis of telepathy, clairvoyance, Trikala Drishti. All the yogic Siddhis are described here in Savitri, one after another, in a poetic form by Sri Aurobindo. And also the great hope that he holds up to us. Humanity framed his movements less and less. So our humanity is not something that we have to die with. We have to live with it so that we can transform it. Sri Aurobindo holds this hope throughout Savitri, explaining that this human nature is temporary. It is a mask behind which is something deeper, more perfect, more sublime, which is waiting to come forward in us if we allow it. So here again he says, Their love, their anger, their unspoken hopes, entered in currents or in pouring waves into the immobile ocean of his calm. He heard the inspired sound of his own thoughts re-echoed in the vault of other minds. The world's thought streams travelled into his ken. His inner self grew near to others' selves and bore a kinship's weight, a common tie, yet stood untouched, king of itself, alone. There is no born avatar that, can, that comes down. And we don't have the right to say, oh, it is all right for Sri Aurobindo to have all these experiences and have these new capacities. After all, he was an avatar. We are merely human, not at all. This is something that Sri Aurobindo dwells on in Savitri.
Human nature, he says, is the same for all. He too had to bear it. Everybody who comes down in the embodied physical human form has to go through the same issues, the same inconscient, the same unconsciousness, the same ego-bound nature. Nobody can escape it unless one changes the old frequency of the egoistic mental consciousness to the new frequency of the Gnostic consciousness. And that is what Savitri shows us how to do. The fourth hidden gem in Savitri is the prototype of a new woman that Savitri represents. Savitri herself, if you read the poem, breaks the mold of the past. In a way, one could say that Sri Aurobindo in this epic has molded her character, keeping in mind the new species, the Gnostic being. This poem has been written for the children of the luminous future. It is not for today. It will be the scripture and the text that will be read and practiced for thousands of years thereafter. And therefore, unlike all the great epics of the past, the main protagonist of Sri Aurobindo's epic is a woman, Savitri. If you look at the epics of the past, the great scriptures, the main protagonists have been men. If you look at Ramayan, the main protagonist is Sri Ram, the avatar. Look at the Mahabharat, it is Sri Krishna, the avatar, and Arjun, the perfect disciple. Look at the Bible. Christ, Quran, Muhammad, by making Savitri the main protagonist of his mantric epic. Sri Aurobindo is signaling something. And I think if we look deeper, it has to do with something he told the mother once. It is the body of the woman that will first manifest the supramental consciousness. Savitri embodies the power of human love, transforming to divine love and conquering death. Love is the only power that can annihilate and transform death. And once when someone had asked the mother, what is the two greatest powers without which no other powers can work or can be um, omnipresent? And once someone asked the mother, mother, what are the two greatest powers? And she replied, love and courage. Without these two, all the other powers will be eclipsed. And if you see Savitri, the story of Savitri. Savitri is the embodiment of love and has the power, therefore, to conquer death. Here are a few unforgettable lines from the debate of love and death, where Savitri is replying to death, saying, O death, I have triumphed over thee within. I quiver no more with the assault of grief, 
a mighty calmness seated deep within, has occupied my body and my sense. It takes the world's grief and transmutes to strength. It makes the world's joy one with the joy of God. My love, eternal, sits throned on God's calm. For love must soar beyond the very heavens and find its secret sense ineffable. It must change its human ways to ways divine, yet keep its sovereignty of earthly bliss. She continues, For I, the woman, am the force of God, he, the eternal's delegate soul in man. He meaning Satyavan. For I, the woman, am the force of God. He, the eternal's delegate soul in man. My will is greater than thy law, O death. My love is stronger than the bonds of fate. Our love is the heavenly seal of the Supreme. There is no better exposition on the nature of human fate, destiny, the problem of pain and suffering than spoken out through the words of Narad in Savitri. What is the evolutionary need for pain? It is this wonderful jewel, this gem, that Savitri explores. In page after page of wonderful poetry, Sri Aurobindo explores the nature of human fate and destiny. Herein lies the fifth gem in Savitri. In the canto, The Way of Fate and the Problem of Pain, all our unspoken questions are answered. Why do we suffer? Why does misfortune befall us? Why is there so much pain in this world? All these questions are answered. And not only answered, but also their solution given. Narad replies to the Queen Mother when she asks him, Why is there pain? Is it because God is helpless? Narad answers, It is because of man's ignorant nature. He says, Thence rose the need of a dark intruding God, the world's dread teacher, the creator pain. Note, he uses the word creator pain. Thence rose the need of a dark intruding God, the world's dread teacher, the creator pain, where ignorance is, there suffering too must come. Thy grief is a cry of darkness to the light. Pain was the firstborn of the inconscience. 
and indeed it is so. What we cannot change ourselves and for ourselves, our atavisms, our samskaras, our habits, our nature, for that the dread teacher pain has been created. Sri Aurobindo calls him a creator and not a destroyer. The mother once said, the more you suffer, the closer you come to me and the faster you go. Some of her children complained to her, Mother, I am so sincere and I have done everything for you. I have never erred. Why is this happening to me? She would say, It is grace, my child. It has come to you because you have a progress to make. You have a high destiny. And that is the real need for pain, to wake us out of this ignorance, to wake us out of this sense of ease and slumber, the lotus eaters, as they say. If you don't take the right steps, nature will take those for you. And that is something we have all noticed in life, isn't it? So as Narad says, pain is the hammer of the gods, to break a dead resistance in the mortal's heart. His slow inertia as of living stone. If the heart were not forced to want and weep, his soul would have lain down content at ease and never thought to exceed the human start and never learned to climb towards the sun. Pain is the hand of nature, sculpturing men to greatness. An inspired labor chisels with heavenly cruelty an unwilling mold. And when the mold is willing, pain changes to bliss. Some of us have read the record of yoga. You may recall Sri Aurobindo's experiments on pain and suffering and bliss, how he changed so many things from the frequency of pain to the frequency of bliss. He would sit sometimes just as an experiment on the parapet wall in the hot afternoon. If anyone of you have been to Pondicherry and tried even standing there after the sun has beaten down on it the whole morning, it's absolutely like living fire. And this experience he would change into bliss. He said, I could do it, but the most difficult thing was to change a toothache. Very strangely, he said, that a toothache is the most difficult to change from pain to bliss. And those of us who know something of biology will understand toothache the nerves go directly to the brain and short circuits everything else. Sri Aurobindo, through the voice of Narad, prepares and helps the Queen Mother thus. For with pain and labor, all creation comes. This earth is full of the anguish of the gods. Ever they travail, driven by time's goad, and strive to work out the eternal will, and shape the life divine 
in mortal forms. The spirit is doomed to pain till man is free. Free from what? Free from the bondage of ignorance. The sixth gem in Savitri is the knowledge it bequeaths about human nature and psychology. Sri Aurobindo has written some of the greatest passages explaining with such depth and subtle humor the nature of the human being. These passages are scattered all over the poem in the narrator's voice. I will read only one such passage to illuminate. Speaking of man, he writes, A link between the demigod and the beast. He knows not his own greatness nor his aim. He has forgotten why he has come and whence. His spirit and his members are at war. His heights break off too low to reach the skies. His mass is buried in the animal mire. A strange antinomy is his nature's rule. A riddle of opposites is made his field. Freedom he asks, but needs to live in bonds. He has need of darkness to perceive some light and need of grief to feel a little bliss. He has need of death to find a greater life. All sides he sees and turns to every call. He has no certain light by which to walk. His life is a blind man's buff, a hide and seek. He seeks himself and from himself he runs. Meeting himself, he thinks it other than he. Always he builds but finds no constant ground. Always he journeys, but nowhere arrives. He would guide the world. Himself he cannot guide. He would save his soul. His life he cannot save. <laughs> Look at the wonderful poetry, the beautiful, and the humor, the subtle humor. Lest we feel pessimistic. He also describes the higher side of humanity. In Savitri, Sri Aurobindo does not gloss over human reality, human nature, the human state in its half-animal consciousness. He describes human nature as it is and yet says, this is not all. There is something deeper in us. There is a deeper truth, a deeper soul within. And if that can be unlocked and brought forth, then human nature can be transformed. He says, Ascent to thy high self, create, endure. Seize not from knowledge, let thy toil be vast. No more can earthly limits bend thy force. Equal thy work with long, unending times. Above blind fate and the antagonist powers, moveless there stands a high, unchanging will. To its omnipotence leave thy work's result. All things shall change 
in God's transfiguring hour. Notice these words. Ascent to thyself, ascent to thy high self, create, endure. One of the most important mantras of the mother, which she has explained in her talks, is endure, endure, endure. For this yoga, endurance is one of the most important qualities that we need to cultivate in ourselves. And here again, ascent to thy high self, create, endure. Seize not from knowledge, let thy toil be vast. All things shall change in God's transfiguring hour. The seventh gem in Savitri is the certitude of immortality and the new creation that reading Savitri ingrains in the very cells of our consciousness. You know, all around us is the very opposite of this reality. And yet, if we are to do Sri Aurobindo's yoga, we need to develop that indestructible faith, absolute faith, like Sri Aurobindo says. And that certitude of immortality is something we get from Savitri. As the mother told Mona Sarkar, it, if Savitri is read with this aspiration for immortality, the reading itself will serve as a guide towards immortality. We find passages in Savitri revealing this new world, this new being. In one of my most favorite passages, Sri Aurobindo writes, I saw the omnipotence flaming pioneers over the heavenly verge which turns towards life come crowding down the amber stairs of birth, forerunners of a divine multitude, out of the parts of the morning star they came into the little room of mortal life. I saw them cross the twilight of an age, the sun-eyed children of a marvellous dawn, the great creators with wide brows of calm, the massive barrier breakers of the world, and wrestlers with destiny in her lists of will, the labourers in the quarries of the gods, the messengers of the incommunicable, the architects of immortality. Note that Sri Aurobindo has written in the present tense. In fact, he's written in the present continuous tense, not in the future tense. He is describing something that he is seeing he is seeing the coming down on earth of these forerunners of a new species, the birth of a new consciousness in human form, descending down from the stairs of birth. Nothing can give us more confidence. Nothing can give us greater optimism and faith in the future of humanity and the earth. 
The eighth gem hidden within the pages of Savitri is the autobiographical combined yoga of Sri Aurobindo and the mother. There are great secrets hidden in these pages. It is almost like a description of the whole sadhana that the mother did and that Sri Aurobindo did. As you know, there are many instances when Sri Aurobindo used to write Savitri in his room and the next day when the mother met him, he would read out the passage he had written at night. And the mother would say, Voila! But how did he know this? I have just gone through this. And you can see in Savitri's yoga, huge autobiographical records of the mother's experiences. Immobile in herself, she gathered force. This was the day when Satyavan must die. When you read the yoga of Ashwapati, you will see almost line by line an account of the experiences described in the record of yoga, siddhi after siddhi, practice after practice, the whole sapta, the whole sapta chatushtaya, Everything is contained there. When one compares the record of yoga to Savitri, one can glean the kind of experiences Sri Aurobindo had gone through. Because here in Savitri, he has camouflaged them in the most beautiful poetry. And they are so hidden that you, that you have to go through them very carefully. In one line is expressed a whole you know, sadhana that he's probably done over months. This poetry, and his poetry is so entrancing, so enveloping that one almost forgets the actual experience behind it. For example, he says, one, in, for example, one instance of his beautiful poetry, his soul stood free, a witness and a king absorbed no more in the moment-ridden flux, where mind incessantly drifts as on a raft, hurried from phenomenon to phenomenon, he abode at rest in indivisible time, indivisible time, Trikala Drishti. And then a few lines later, out of that stillness, Mind newborn arose and woke to truths once inexpressible, and forms appeared dumbly significant a seeing thought, a self revealing voice. He knew the source from which his spirit came. Movement was married to the immobile vast. He plunged his roots into the infinite. He based his life upon eternity. Look at the poetry and try and glean the yogic experiences behind that poetry. He plunged his roots into the infinite. He based his life upon eternity. 
And finally, we come to the ninth jewel of Savitri, the Navaratna. Savitri as revelation. The mother has said that the answer to every question can be found in Savitri. She said everything is in Savitri. All the problems of a human existence, all the problems of human existence have been explored in Savitri and their solutions too have been presented in Savitri. All the secrets of the divine existence are in Savitri. The future is in Savitri. And she said, if one were to concentrate for a moment and do this in all sincerity, and if you have a real question or a real problem, open Savitri. Concentrate for a moment and you will come straight to the page which gives you the answer, to the passage which gives you the solution. This is the power of Savitri. Every page, every word has a great power. And if you pray sincerely, you will get the answer to your prayer. The mother said, It does not matter if you do not understand Savitri. Read it always and you will see that every time you read it, something new will be revealed to you. Each time you will get a new glimpse, a new experience. Things that were not there will come suddenly up in your consciousness. You will see things clearer and clearer, new experiences. Always an unexpected vision will come up through the words and lines. And when you read and you reread, you will see that something is added. Something that was hidden behind is revealed clearly and vividly. I tell you, the very verses you have read once before will appear to you in a different light each time you reread them. This is what happens to all of us. And your experience is enriched as it is a revelation. Always your experience is enriched, she said. It is a revelation at each step. I would like to close this talk and invocation to Savitri with the reading of this prophetic passage from Book 1, Canto 4. When darkness deepens, strangling the earth's breast and man's corporeal mind, is the only lamp, as a thief's in the night shall be the covert tread of one who steps unseen into his house. A voice ill heard shall speak, the soul obey, a power into mind's inner chamber steal, a charm in sweetness open life's closed doors and beauty conquer the resisting world. The truth light capture nature by surprise. A stealth of God compelled the heart to bliss and earth grow unexpectedly divine. 
for man shall not know the coming till its hour, and belief shall be not till the work is done. Thank you.